Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome to Out of Oz, a podcast of Building 28 Church, where we address the fantasies and fallacies of modern Christianity with courage, conviction, and compassion. I'm your host, Peter Tragos, and joining me as always is the pastor of Building 28, Aaron Curran. I feel like we need to throw fairy tales in there as well at some point. I'm starting to really like it. I I, I I even like the radio show host voice. You'd warm up. And I'm excited because we got a great show today. We got a couple of, uh, of really good friends of mine intellectuals in the house right why don't you yeah, introduce don't them explain why they're here <laughs> so we got uh over here to my left is one of our elders rick ruman one of the elders of building 28 church and a huge tampa bay lightning fan yep good win last night big big win even though, even though this, will, this will be released way yeah, after so the lightning have won the stanley <laughs> Pulling cup behind the there curtain you right here, there, there you go. go so uh yeah Great to have Rick on the show. We've had a lot of conversations around this topic that we'll be discussing today. And then also driving down from the Northland, Pasco County, we have my good friend Adam Powers, the pastor of Sunrise Community Church. Community Church. I was going to say fellowship, but yeah. community church. And um, and a huge, the, the, the biggest J.R.R. Tolkien fan <laughs> I've ever met. I mean, just, just. I thought you said he was a Christian. Uh, yeah, that's Harry Potter. Nice. It, it is interesting that a man so deeply entrenched in Catholicism could be such a hero for a PCA guy. But uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> what do we got today, Pete? All right. So today we're going to be talking about um, a common objection to Christianity or issue that that people have in the world today, especially in 2020. But even some Christians um, have this issue and struggle as they journey throughout their Christian walk. And it really, we're going to talk about today, how can there be so much evil, so much brokenness, and so much misery in the world if such a good, loving God created the world and is sovereign and is all-powerful and has the power to stop all of this from happening, yet it continues to happen every single day, especially in 2020. Yeah, particular yep. to this year, because mm-hmm. there's there's increased antagonism. Um, and divisiveness and Christians just, even Christians being divisive and, and I fighting think if, with if their we're honest, This is a doubt. This is one of the hardest apologetic questions to answer. And it does, I think it does create and stir doubt and even in a lot of Christians, it's not just from the outside sure. that these that this antagonism comes. I think within our own hearts at times, mm-hmm. especially when we encounter and go through brokenness and suffering and misery, and and and, and evil, something something truly atrocious happens to a family member, or happens to us. The, the doubt does start to to well up within us, and so it's legitimate questions that need to be addressed. So, where does the doubt come from? Where is it? Where is it really seated? And why does it? Why is it a doubt? We are living in a Genesis 3 world, I think, is the first place we begin. Well, maybe the second place we begin. It was once a Genesis 1 and 2 world, a world that was made so perfect and so good that has become so fallen, has left us all, I think, we would agree, with a sense of exile within. 
that we ourselves are not what we ought to be, even what half of what we want to be. And the world around us is not what it is to be or should be as well. And so we're wandering around with this sense of exile, trying to find some kind of home. In a sense, you could say fallen man is homesick. And so the world that we're in, not being meant to fulfill that longing will naturally leave us disoriented. So, so why though? Why, why do people believe a good God and a sovereign God can't exist with a world that's as evil and broken as it is in 2020 and divisive and people just trying to attack each other and hate each other for any reason they can find? Well, people are always to Adam's point. I mean, post Genesis three, whether you, whether you're a a biblicist or not, like, uh, Explain what you mean by Genesis 1 and 2 world versus Genesis 3 world. Yeah, Just so for people that aren't. Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, I think there was like centaurs and Aslan. Minotaurs. Perfection. It was the age of innocence, um, yeah. you know, more than perfection. It wasn't, they, okay. they, weren't, they weren't righteous as believers are righteous in Christ, but there was an innocence that, that was pervasive. Um, man, man truly had a capability of choosing right or wrong. Post Genesis 3, Genesis 3 brought about the fall. It brought about original sin. And from that point moving forward, man only has a capacity to choose what is evil. Now, in their mode, they might do what is morally upright, but their motive is always wrong, according to Romans chapter 3. And so we live in – whether someone wants to acknowledge the biblical account of brokenness and sin or not, almost everyone who's intellectually faithful will say something's gone wrong, like Adam says, where we're homeless, uh, we're homesick, we're exiled, like – um things are not as it should be. You look at the world around us and, and only an escapist uh, um, or, you know, an idiot really would look and, and say everything is as it should be in the world. Everything is fine. Yeah. And, and so I think the issue that persists and it has persisted throughout time is if there is a God, especially the God of the Bible, who is full of benevolence and care and, and love for his creation and he is completely unrivaled in omnipotence and power. He must be because of the persistence of suffering and pain or evil in the world, which are different things, but he must be either incapable of stopping the evil or suffering or pain or calamity, um, so therefore he's not all-powerful, or he must be non-benevolent or, or not full, full of love um, because he's powerful enough to stop it, but he allows it to persist. And that's where the argumentation comes in, is that um, the God of the Bible cannot stand as true because of the problem of evil in the world. I mean, is that yeah, right? That's and, how you and, and we know that just, just from real life experience. I think that's maybe where Peter's going at. Where does the objection come from? Um, if I were to, you know, douse a dog with gasoline and light on fire and just sit there and do nothing, you would call me a yeah, monster. We, we like to use those more hypothetically, not Correct. Uh, not if I did that, like if right. someone else did that, because <laughs> other people are bad, not us. Sure, right? you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and, and so that we do have to answer that as yeah, Christians, sure. why would God... Um, Exactly. Like they're talking all big wig philosophical, but like specifically speaking, like that's what people think. That's what they think. He's in 2020. We can talk about if you want for a second, Aaron. Yeah. In 2020, let's make a list of the hundred things that have gone wrong that God could have very easily poured water on like Rick's talking about. And he didn't. He could have. He just. I mean, the the, kind of the age old analogy, I think, is like if I'm if I'm a loving father and I see my kid approaching the frying pan, I'm going to stop them. And yet God is supposedly a loving father benevolence and fully omniscient, omnipotent father. And yet he doesn't stop the avalanche in Turkey from taking out a couple dozen people, or he doesn't stop Kobe Bryant's helicopter from going down. 
or he doesn't stop the, the sheriff's department from taking pictures of Kobe Bryant and his deceased daughter, these grizzly pictures, or he, he, he doesn't stop the, the Australian wildfires or now the California wildfires mm-hmm. or Derek Chauvin from pressing his knee down on George Floyd's neck and doesn't stop all the outrage and the riots um, and on and on. It doesn't stop COVID and the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, wherever your data is from, of deaths that have been directly caused by COVID. All of these are argumentations of basically the dog that's on fire and any, any gracious person would put out that fire. Any, I've always said any, any person, any person, doesn't matter if you're Christian or not, who sees a predator preying upon a child is going to do everything in their power to rescue that child. Mm -hmm. And yet 40 million children today are in sex trafficking. God could stop all of that. And that's, that's the heaviness and the weightiness of the problem. But right. if we want to jump to it, uh, we're getting ahead. I mean, if we jump to it, it only becomes a problem, parent problem, if you don't have a good reason to justify the evil, in other words, or the pain. Yeah. Um, but we even know from practical experiences, your good analogy with the stove, you know, if Spurgeon's up there about to grab that hot pan, that stove, and you slap his wrist, that hurts him. He might cry. But did you do, was, did you have purpose in slapping him? And causing Stop him pain. greater injury. So the question, because God's goodness is not discredited if there actually is purpose, the pain, the suffering, and the evil. And that's but what, what about I'd the like pain, to talk suffering, about. and evil doesn't seem to have purpose. From our perspective, it, right. it, it doesn't. Um, but there sometimes, sometimes we do get glimpses of that, and we can jump ahead to those some of those topics. But we know that all things are working together for our good, and sometimes there's purposes in... There's four of them I'd like to outline, but I don't know if you want to get Let, into that Yeah, right let's now. talk about it because I also want okay. to, with a mind of, and, and an overarching question, because what comes to a lot of people's minds, I think, is why the God of the Bible, why we believe in what how the Bible describes God versus just a, de- a, a deistic, deistic, is that the word I'm looking for? Like a deistic yeah, thought like, process where like God created everything and it's all bad because we're messed up, but he's not still working in the world today. Yeah, an impersonal deism, God is very, um, yeah. is very intellectually, uh, I think, stimulating for a lot of people where they can they can at least acknowledge, even an atheist could mm-hmm. could probably wrap their mind around, okay, maybe there is a creator who's kind of taking his hands off. That right. Jeffersonian view of, of this, is, this is how God is. Like mm-hmm. he, he set everything in motion, he's wound the clock and he's stuck And back. as people try to, try to, say there has never been a God and God doesn't exist. I think those arguments really, really are getting harder and harder as the world continues. But as you outline these points we're going to go through now, sure. I just want to keep a keep a mind on why it's different than just a God who sets and forgets. No, he definitely doesn't do that. And we have, we have to acknowledge scripture that talks about things that people might not want to hear. Um, he does decree wicked acts to take place. But decree does not mean actually be the cause of. The direct cause. The direct cause. Um, Just a few of them in Isaiah 45, 7. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. You have in Lamentations, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord commanded it. It is not from the mouth of the Most High that the good and bad come. There's several other ones we can obviously go into. So God does decree I take comfort in the fact that he decrees these, even from our perspective, evil things, even in natural and moral, but they are working together for a purpose. The, the, the wound up clock yeah. is 
horrible to me. That would be a wicked God, in my opinion, because now it's just like, I don't know, it sort of stinks that that happened, you know, but we know that there is purpose in that. We could talk about some of those purposes, but. Um, so a couple of things I want to, yeah. I want to kind of pull this in for our, for our listeners, um, because, you know, when they hear Rick make to them, perhaps an audacious claim that God causes evil right away, I think the human mind is we, we, we can only think in causation sure. in the realm in which we cause things to happen. Right. right. And that's not what we're talking about. There's, nope. there's a direct cause where, where whatever phraseology and Adam, you can correct me with all of your, um, scholasticism over there. But, but when we talk about the, the direct cause, we're talking about an active causation. And then we talk about an indirect cause, like the confessions would talk about whether you want to talk about an allowance. I know that word is not really accepted in reform circles, but, but there's a difference. So when we talk about evil and sin and wickedness, we're not, we're not saying that God is the author of that scripture is clear on that, but at the same time, it's not accidental. I think the most prevalent example is Acts 2, I think it's 23, where... Acts 4, where we're talking four? about, Both where say, Peter's yeah. talking about. Okay, yeah, where, where it's the that God has ordained the hands of, of wicked men to crucify yeah. his son, the greatest atrocity in the universe. God ordained this to take place. And we understand, even though they didn't understand it then, because we get back to the other thing I wanted to address is, is, so A, God is not the author of sin, but B, like you take my youngest, who just turned two, for example, when he's trying to get in the pool without his puddle jumper on, without his life vest, and we pop him, he doesn't understand that that pain is necessary. Correct. Um, that that is actually a loving father who is doing what is necessary and needful. And so when we look at the the issue of of pain, for example, existing in the world, um, we might just like just like my two year old doesn't understand my actions. The Bible compares us oftentimes to children, and we don't understand in our finite view the the movements, direct or indirect, of an infinite God. And therefore, and the case in point is the cross, like we could not have understood in that moment what God was doing. Why would he not just permit, but indirectly cause the crucifixion of Jesus? And yet now we, now we look back and we understand that it was for the redemption of humanity. And so mm -hmm. there is, even if we can't understand it, and I think we, we talk about this a lot, I talk about this a lot, but at least here on Sundays, but in the enlightenment era, a lot of a lot of this this problem of pain is a very Western concept. Very, yeah, very Western. It modern, yeah, very modern. I was gonna say kind of post Enlightenment mm -hmm. because in the Enlightenment before the Enlightenment, you go back to the Reformation days and preceding that, and it was a lot. The thought a lot of times, which I think is very intellectually honest, is if I can't understand something, perhaps I'm not intelligent enough to understand it. But the Enlightenment brought about hmm. this fresh wave of. If I can't understand something, it must not be true anymore because I am now the highest uh, source of truth and knowledge. And and um, so there was a shift. What you're saying, yeah, a colossal shift is took place. when when man became the measure of all things. Absolutely, yeah. man's intellectual capability or his mental equipment all of a sudden became the standard that if I don't get it, it must be wrong. Which goes, I think. Underneath everything that we've talked about so far, we, we've mentioned a lot of agreement in the world that a lot of bad things happen, a lot of pain happens, a lot of suffering happens. We're all in agreement about this. Mm -hmm. We're all in agreement about what we would do if we were in charge of these things. But perhaps the answer is not to throw God in the dock for a Lewis quote right there. I think it's a book. But perhaps is to conclude that God might just be different than us. In Psalm 50, it's a hammer of a psalm calling out all kinds of wickedness. 
the sons of uh, Asaph are singing. And after listing all sorts of things that God's people have done, you've done this, done this, done this, done this, done this. At the very end of it, God says this, these things you have done and I have been silent. You thought I was one like you. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the problem of man ever since Genesis 3. Always. The, the, human, the yeah. humanization of God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I wouldn't do it that way. Yeah. That's what I always feel like. That's, the, that's yeah. if you get down to the crux of anybody's argument with reform theology, in my opinion, which we don't have to take this in that slant. But oh, it's, always like, it's always like, I wouldn't have done it that way. That's not how yeah. I would have created people. That's not sure. how I would have created the earth. That's not how I would have run life as we know it. That doesn't sit well with me. Right. Yeah. But it's like, mm. <laughs> okay, we have to start with the fact that we're, we're talking about the God of the Bible, right? So that, that's what we're talking about, you know? And if you read the Bible, it's very clear he's not like us. He didn't do it like we would. And, and he could have left us all for eternity in a Genesis 3 world or in the consequence of that. Yeah. That's what, you know, whether whether we're talking about the doctrines related to salvation or we're just kind of talking to this bigger overarching issue of the love of God. Because when we talk about the love of God, we compare it to human love oftentimes. Like, mm. oh, I would never do this. And I would argue that the love of God is different. And it's better than than Bigger, the love grander. I could ever have for my children. Like yeah. I, I have a very finite view of love for my children. I have, I have, if I'm honest, and I think if we're all honest, a, a little bit of a selfish view uh, in in view right. when I talk sure. about the love for my children and how they make us feel. I mean, they give you feelings yeah, you've yeah. never felt in your. Adam just had third daughter. She's going to give you feelings you've never felt in your life of love and of happiness. But a lot of that is that making he, that you feel good. he almost named good. after Samwise Gamgee's <laughs> daughter. Wonderful choice. Yeah. It would have been cool. That, that's, been. that's a great name. Sorry. Sorry. We, uh, a little sidetracked there, but uh, anyway. <laughs> well, speaking of his daughter named Piper, I, I want to ask you, so in all of this, and I don't know if we're stepping on your points, Rick, and feel sure. free to get to him anytime, sure. but so John Piper jokes that he's a seven point Calvinist sometime and we can skip. As we all should be. Well, yeah, uh, good. I'm with you. So I like this couch is feeling strong. Today. We're, 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 uh, this, is a, this is a rabbit trail off the uh, Okay, but, but his seventh point, I think, is, and Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, because it seems like you know what I'm talking about. His seventh point is this world and this way and this life is the way that brings the most glory possible to the God. best of all possible right. worlds. There is yeah. no other mm -hmm. way yeah. you can simulate our lives right. so that it would bring more glory to God. And that would include all the pain, suffering, and everything that's happened back in Bible times, back in yeah. ancient history, all the way through 2020. Hmm. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Does this have anything to do with what we're talking about today? Yeah, so... You can also disagree with that and think it still has to do with today. No, no, it's still I think, I think purpose that, to bring God that, glory. That the world we're in is not Plan B. I'll say that. Yeah, uh, I think that it's it's certainly like there there was no act, the fall wasn't accidental. Um, I would agree with Piper. I think, and I would agree with what I believe Scripture teaches in that the fall was very purposeful. Without God causing it directly, it was very purposeful and necessary for redemption to take place. Like for, for Christ to die, like Christ would never have had to die had humanity not fallen. And so the world is exactly in some respects, even though God initially created it and said, this is good and, and sin grieves his heart and the fall grieves his heart. The world is, is going according to the course that God has set in plan. place for it. Yes. Plan. I mean, you, can, plan. you can kind of see why, because even in the world today, you ask a lot of people, they'll say people are generally good and, and people are generally moral and people will say that. And it's like, God's showing us the misery of people and how horrible we all are every day. And some people still miss it. Right. So yeah, still don't yeah. see a need for a savior yet. It's very obvious the world we live in 
for all of time has always needed a savior since the fall of Adam, you know? So, I well mean, said. it's, it's amazing that there are so people, but that's the point. It's like, why is it so bad? Why are, why is this person so horrible and divisive? Why is this person so racist? And why is this person so terrible? It's like, well, you guys think people are generally good, right? And I can, so I don't I, get like it. right now I can see some of our listeners being like, I am so confused because it sounds as almost as if y'all are saying that God wanted people to be racist and corrupt. And so how evil. do we get here? And that is, that is not in his desire, even though, so when we look at, once again, we look at, to Adam's point, you know, I think it was Psalm 50, he just read the complexity of God. We mm -hmm. only begin to kind of scratch the surface. Like none of us in this room, no theologian who's ever lived, no scholar can begin to tap the vast resources of, of God's essence and character and nature. But when we try to understand it through his revelation to us, not our own self-revelation, but through his revelation, we begin to understand that he does love in a way that is different than us and deeper and, and better. Mm -hmm. um, e even though sin grieves his heart, so it, it violates his desires, the desires of our... I, there's no theologian who can argue to me that God desired no. To 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 turn his back upon his son on the cross, right. like you know. So then, that, right. then, but yet he decreed it, and so there's like he for, wanted it to take place. He yeah, yeah. So, to Rick, take place. so here's my well, question: Yeah, why do people sin? If God created us, He could have created us any way He wanted to. Why do people sin? Well, because it, they want to. You 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 asked a question earlier. Um, a lot of people like to come at you with, "I would have done it this way. I would yeah. have done it that way." One thing I like to turn to them and say, "Okay, let's let's go down that route." If the assumption is you want to create a world that illustrates a concept of mercy, justice, courage, patience, how would you do it? And let them explain how they do it. Because all of those things have to have the existence of pain. To have courage, you have to be put in danger, right? To have sympathy, you have to have suffering. To show mercy, you have point. to have... You have you have to have the opposite of that in order to show any of those particular problems. That that's such a huge Patience. point. It is Rick. huge, and people that's always forget huge. that God God wanted to show the concept, illustrate. And I've even um, heard some theologians talk about. We forget we're not the only um, creatures in existence. There's a huge set of heavenly hosts of angels yeah. that do not experience what we're experiencing. There's like. A grand design almost like of showing showcasing concepts of mercy showing concepts of justice how do you have justice if so there's, if you there's no everybody slide slide assumes that they did something an offense if there's no injustice right. you can't right. have justice can't. Right. Uh, so god i do if there's believe, no fear you can't have courage correct. like you just no danger you can't have courage well danger is not no a good feeling virtue i mean you can't have virtue without vice no or right. or you can't have healing without pain and so yeah. we talk about pain and yeah. suffering this is one element that i think is is very it's critical valid. it really is critical that, because without those without and and god i believe obviously we we know from scripture wanted to illustrate that so we can always turn it back on your atheist friend and say, well, how would you illustrate that? Now they might come back and say, I wouldn't. That was my always as an atheist. I would say, why didn't God just make heaven to start with? Yikes. Sure. But he wanted to illustrate these concepts and that's where we have to distrust in him. Which brings us right back to what Peter was saying with the best of all possible worlds. Because yeah. if we were to ask that atheist, like, you know, in creating such a world, like what is the grand overarching, like meta narrative goal yeah. in view? And perhaps someone you know, would say like peace or something like this. And you're like, okay, well, you know, again, God is different than us. God has a higher value than love. He has a higher value than peace. 
It's his glory. Yeah. And so he's brought all these things in his sovereignty, uh, ordaining whatsoever comes to pass, serving that ultimate goal of his glory. When we, like you were saying, Aaron, we approach this problem not beginning with ourselves and what we think, but what scripture thinks, we will slowly start to understand that from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, God's glory is God's primary goal in all of the, all of the things Absolutely. that he allows, ordains, permits, and causes to come to pass. Now, to, so I completely agree with everything you and Rich are saying here. At the same time, I think the once again, I keep trying to enter into the minds of our listeners. This is a very weighty conversation. Sure. Right. It's a right? brain mm. tease. I mean, yeah. just, just these and conversations are, yeah, are, are... So, so there's a heaviness here. And so I'm where the, where the conversation, and we've all seen it go there um, with hmm. our, you know, let's call them more Arminian-esque friends, whatever, that God becomes for some of them the predator almost like the, he's responsible for mm. sin in the world because yeah. we start we talk about well he wanted he wanted to exemplify and introduce courage or healing or and so he brought in this well he he did bring it in to Rick's point indirectly sure but this is not negate all this conversation is not negate the reality that just because God is sovereign and just because he's indirectly or directly causing all things whatsoever may come to pass that humanity is still fully responsible 100%. humanity is the predator in this like you like he yeah. he in a very legitimate sense and i believe that the confessions would agree with me in a very legitimate sense gifted to adam and eve our first parents the capacity to choose right and wrong and while their choice of evil did not frustrate or negate his will it was still their choice. Like it was still their their fault. They went and our sin is the same in Adam and Eve. Now, our sin is our responsibility and the devastation and consequence of that sin, the curse yeah, upon the world, for sure. Um, everything. So we're not directly responsible for the death of George Floyd, but sin is what has brought about death in general. That's why all this mess exists. Yeah. Like, Not like the, only the, around us, but in us. So when God, when God creates the world, he says, this is right. This is how it should be. This is good. And while the fall of Adam and Eve and all sin after that does not usurp his will, like man is not the sovereign. God is the sovereign. And he could stop at any moment. He, he wills to indirectly cause this to exist in the world. So the cross of Christ be necessary so that that courage and healing and redemption, like there's no redemption if there's not slavery, like, like to Rick's point. And so, and so he wills to permit all of this to existing without alleviating the onus that weighs upon us for mm. bringing this ill and catastrophe into the world. Yeah. 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 We, I was just talking to Adam earlier, how you see that in Isaiah, God says, I'm going to choose Babylon to come in here right. and be execute judgment. And yet at the same time, then he flips it around and they are responsible punishes for what, and Babylon punishes for it. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's the mystery part. Um, to quote from this one book, I like, the truth of the matter is that we do not know how God exercises his primary causality through secondary instrumental causes. We just have to stop at that point. We do not know how that works. We see it work out in scripture. Good examples. There wasn't like Joseph's brothers when they were throwing him in the pit. They weren't there like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't yeah. want to throw them in. I don't want to throw them in. No, they did it naturally by they their own volition. Yeah. Yet at the same time, then we read that but God meant Isn't there an easier way, Rick, for people to understand? Have you ever done anything wrong in your life? 
course. Did anyone have to force you to do it? No, we you just did it yourself, it, and you're right. responsible for it, right? For sure. And I think in our little brains, that's pretty easy. But to another understand. theme of the 20, question is it a another theme God's of 2020 <laughs> has been offloading responsibility, sure. which is in fine. all circles, which is and, fine. But know, I'm just saying, if we're looking at the Bible and we're seeing things throughout the Bible that God is accomplishing or willing, right? Like those people have the same brains as us; they're making the same decisions as us. So it's easy for us to look and say Babylon is responsible. Joseph's brothers are mm-hmm. responsible. Yeah. So I mean that that to me right. is an easy explanation because yeah, I can just think to my own brain that I'm responsible. The challenge is how how that fulfills God's decrees right. for that to take place without. That's the challenging part. Somehow that works and out. And just so we can try to get some answers that our people can hold on to, right? So one of the questions we asked was, is the evil in this world and even in 2020, does this prove that the God of the Bible does not exist? Okay. And I think that if I can just bear with me for a second, I'm going to go through a list. I'll try to go through it as quickly as possible. The Bible says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will and all things includes, these are specific examples from the Bible, (laughs) the fall of sparrows in Matthew, the rolling of dice in Proverbs, the slaughter of his people in Psalms, bad. The decisions of Kings, Proverbs, bad. The, uh, The failing of sight, meaning people going blind, Exodus, bad. The sickness of children, bad. That's in 2 Samuel. The loss and gain of money. That's in 1 Samuel. The suffering of saints in 1 Peter. The completion of travel plans in James. The persecution of Christians in Hebrews. So there's a lot of bad things that still the Bible talks about. God is working all these things according to the counsel of his will. So so no, that actually goes right in line with what the Bible says about the God God of the Bible. So yes, he does exist exactly how the Bible says he exists. and, And 2020 just proves that. It doesn't disprove that. Completely, but he doesn't violate. I agree. That's a second question. But I'm just saying the first question of does this prove he doesn't exist? Well, no, that's actually exactly how the Bible. I think the the more prevalent question is the absence of God. Okay. Like meaning Mm -hmm. the him being impersonal, you know, because like you said, I mean, even even a lot of kind of anti-theists are starting to like fall a little bit apart and, and, and acknowledge that, okay, maybe there's a creator. Maybe there's not like we don't know. It's more an agnostic positioning. Um, but he certainly the the problem of suffering, the problem of pain in the world negates his personal interest investment with humanity, you know. And so when I when we say, OK, the that God does not when I say that God does not violate the human world, I, I think I'm I'm led to believe that even in salvation, that there is a wooing of the heart and there's a replacement of the heart that makes us willing then. So it's not a manipulation. It's not a it's a it's a it's a pursuit. It's a, it's a pursuit. And it's a. Like, like I, like certain guys could pursue a girl. We've seen it in our churches, right? We've seen it in our lives and they would never have a shot because that girl's heart is bent against that guy. For sure. When God pursues us, not only does he pursue us and woo us, but he actually replaces the heart because our heart is naturally bent against God. Right. But, but he doesn't manipulate our will. Like in doing that, he, he changes us and makes, we are, we become willing. Like, I mean, by a gift of regeneration. And so the same is true for the unbeliever, even though God is, or the wicked, that would include all of us pre-salvation and post-salvation, but whatever. Um, but <laughs> Depending on your but, view of Romans yeah, 7. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we'll get into that another day. Ooh, we should. Um, but I think the, what's important, because um, Rick brought this up, is and, and we you're talking about this as well, Peter. Yes, God is ordaining all things, but without violating our our natural proclivity toward evil. Like, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't need, I've always said he doesn't, we don't need help getting to hell. Like, right. like we're, no. we're on our way there. We're heading that direction. Um, and so God is not responsible for our, our damnation. We're responsible for that. Uh, for Nobody does what they don't want to do. Exactly. Like we, we we're, just, do, we're just doing we do what, what we, we want. Our, we do our heart. And, and so wants. even though God 
is, and I'm just trying to clear this up as much as possible. So, because even <laughs> even though one point exists, it's true that does not negate another point. Yeah. Even though one point God is sovereign, He is indirectly causing evil. He is indirectly or directly causing all things whatsoever comes to pass. That does not negate the responsibility of humanity, our own wickedness, and and the bringing of why does why does pain, why does suffering, why does crisis, why does calamity exist in the world? Because the of, of the fall of humanity, because of sin, because of wickedness. I mean, once again, it doesn't defeat the purposes of God. It actually carries out the purposes of God. But yet at the same time, the onus falls on us. Like to, we're responsible for, for the suffering, not to, not, not responsible in the sense that like we've put a child in slavery, but responsible in the, that we contribute to the brokenness of this world. So we're saying... I think these, I think something that P Peter's trying to get us to is kind of every now and then, like this is this thick, heavy stuff. Like, so every now and then we got to summarize, right? So, so, so you're saying that we cannot have a view of sovereignty that makes man not responsible. We cannot have a view of responsibility that makes God not sovereign. And so the verse you quoted earlier in Acts 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, sovereignty. Mm -hmm. The very next phrase, Peter looks at the Jews, you crucified and killed by yeah, the hands of lawless you men. You were forced to crucify. Right. right. Like, so like God made you crucify. Within just, the same yeah. passage, we have both full sovereignty, yep. full responsibility. And Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, not your son, yeah. <laughs> was, was very helpful here when he was asked, how do you reconcile these two? He said, why would I even try to reconcile two that are already friends? Huh. You know, I mean, the Bible's very clear, you know, yes, sovereignty, yes, responsibility. It doesn't really give us much more than that. And we should be content yeah. to not go further than the scriptures speak. I, I've kind of, and, and you can pick this apart if you, if you like, but I, I've compared it to a, to a coin that we can only see one side of at a time. Okay. It doesn't mean that either side of the the coin is hmm. is not legitimate. You turn it over and you see, you know, heads and you can see that side of the coin. You turn over and see tails. The problem is not with the coin. The problem is with our ability to see both sides at the same time. Yeah. And so when we talk about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, the weight of, weight of man, we can flip the pages of scripture, even Acts 2.23, and we can see God completely in control and man completely responsible. Yeah. And the problem is not with those two truths both existing. The problem is with our limited perception. Like, we only like, see, yeah, our, yeah, our inability yeah. to see clearly both at the same time. That's I have good. a question for Adam. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Was it J.K. Rowling we were talking about earlier? No. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> that's a disgrace. J.R.R. Tolkien. Okay, whatever. We're yeah. going to talk about oh J.K. Rowling. That's pretty hey, Can we just pause here? And really I, good too. I, I want to find out because Adam, when he walked in, he told me that he knows... So we're, we're really big. I think Rick might be too. We're really big into like, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? Alle allegorical fantasy literature, uh, the, the writings of the Inklings, whatever. But you told me you had a favorite character from all of... Oh, for sure. All right, let's hear it. I don't want to hear it. So, so it comes from Tolkien's world. It's Bilbo Baggins, hands down. The Hobbit himself. The Hobbit himself, okay. capital H, I think. Simply because, I mean, in the... In the books, you know, The Hobbit, it's very fanciful, very childlike, very fun, playful story. Never read it, so I don't know. And you're missing out. I barely know who all these people are we're talking That's okay. about. So. That's okay. So, uh, Peter admitted before the podcast he's never read a work of fiction. No, I don't oh read any fiction. So Some people just, see the world in black and white. I don't have time others, for that. others of us see in color. I have to I'm read every single day for my job. I don't, I don't have time for Indeed. Fiction. So, so 
We know Bilbo from The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Bilbo also comes over in The Lord of the Rings. And Bilbo's also present, many people don't know, at the very end of the Silmarillion. The introductory work. Most people don't even know what the Silmarillion yeah, no, is. Don't worry. worry. But okay. No, no, nothing to do here, but... I have my question at the end and we can use Tolkien instead. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Sorry for the mix-up. Bilbo Baggins is by far my favorite character. So the reason I brought this up uh, is, you know, you look at those worlds, you know, whether it's Milton, whether it's Bunyan, whether it's Lewis and and Tolkien, like you look at all these kind of allegorical writers and they're all addressing this problem of evil and suffering and pointing to a, a redemptive arc in their writings. And my, my favorite character from all this from Fantasyland would be the lion Aslan, which most people would know just from at least watching the movie, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. But Aslan is, you know, picturesque of, of the sun who comes and lays down his life. Yes. There's a little bit of erroneous theology in there with the, with uh, the ransom to Satan theory, but whatever. Um, But, but I love that. And there was actually a quote and I, a quote there in the, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe that addresses what we're going through right now. And it addresses that the world is not as it should be, that we're in exile, and yet, you know, you you step into the land of Narnia and Lion Winch Wardrobe, and it's always winter and never Christmas. It's always dark and cold mm. and 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 broken and and death is is prevalent and it's under the curse of the White Witch. And then at one point the statement is said not by Aslan, but about him. And you'll remember this, I think, Adam, but he says, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight, when he mm. returns. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets his death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Again. Yeah, again. Yes. <laughs> um, but I, I think that that's, that's what, as Christians, we look forward to that, that the world is yeah. not as it should be. It's, it's broken. There's pain. There's suffering. But the answer is in, and we have that hope in this life. I was going to say, the, it's not just future. It's, it's, it's not just future, but the right? future orients the present for yeah. us. So all right. anyway, that all that leads back to your question, but I, I don't want the whole conversation to be like dark and, and foreboding. Well, hold on. And, Let me ask my question because this yeah, is an interesting analogy. It. And I like your coin analogy, but I, I want to hear Adam's thoughts on because I've heard this analogy a lot and I know some people have problems with it. So I just want to kind of dig into it and maybe it'll help us explain it a little bit. So is there's a lot of death in these books that Tolkien writes, right? Oh, yeah. So Tons. so who is responsible for those deaths, are it the people in the book causing those deaths, committing those murders, or oh, maybe this. justified killings, or is it Tolkien? It's Tolkien. <laughs> who is responsible for those deaths? I'll say yes. Okay, so you think both? Yes. Okay, I I, I think that's the that's the most honest answer you can you can have. He's the author. Okay. He's the one writing this world, and he's the one putting the characters yeah. into action and the plot line that are carrying out these deeds. So what what is the repercussion for the death in those books? And you, you can you can give me like more the beef, characters? more juice to the analogy because I'm not I'm not like super in on them. But <laughs> but just thinking like so somebody kills somebody. Okay, Adam yeah. kills Rick in this book. Adam wanted to kill Rick. And Adam did kill Rick, but now Rick's getting arrested from by, I mean, Adam's getting arrested by Rick's people. Okay. I'm, I'm killing this because I don't, I don't have the specifics from the book, (laughs) but so there's, there's a a repercussion, right? For the murders in these books and, and things happen after, you know, civilizations are killed. And then the repercussion is the next generation comes after and tries to kill them, whatever it is. Right. So what's the repercussion for the author? Well, if you write enough of those murders, people think you're crazy. I think if you just hone in on the murders themselves, you'll have a very skewed and very negative view of the author. Okay. But if you look at the whole work 
and the trajectory from beginning to end, you'll see the author's main intention and where he wants to carry these people all the way through. And he's not going to carry them in Tolkien's world away from suffering or apart from suffering to the end, but he'll carry them and hold on to them through the midst of it. And I mean, goodness, I mean, that, that, that's a sermon in and of itself. Right. And um, I, but I like, I like yeah. this analogy personally, because, and Aaron, I want to get your thoughts on it too, but my, my opinion is there is no repercussion for the author. He doesn't live in the world of the book. Nothing, nobody in the book can do anything to the author. <laughs> um, the author writes the book how they see fit and they're just totally absent from that world. And the people in the book committing these crimes are going to be held responsible, are going to face the repercussion in the book, in the world of the book that doesn't even, the author doesn't even. Yeah, it comes across a little fatalistic though. I mean, that's, that's, our God is personal though. It's not like he's outside of it. You know, he actually, every analogy is going to be imperfect. He actually yeah, enters what, the book. That's what, that's what I was going to say is, okay. is one. He became a character. All analogies, yeah, yeah. They, they do break down at right. some point. Of course. For sure. And, for and sure. so, whereas you could argue that Tolkien or Lewis is directly causing all events in a mm-hmm. book. From scripture, you cannot argue that God directly causes sin, that he's the author of sin and and murder and evil. And I will so, challenge that, that with Jonathan Edwards. Okay. But after you talk. <laughs> well, we, we can challenge it, but um, yeah, that, I'm, we might I'm have to Adam. edit it out because I don't want our couch. listeners walking away thinking that <laughs> yeah, God yeah, yeah. directly causes. That's, that's, another, that's, that's, a, that's another podcast potential. Like indirectly but, causation. Yeah, like I get we that, all but, agree it's here. Yeah, God's yeah, so in control. It, but to Rick's Amen. point, I think this is the this is the most beautiful part of what sets Christianity apart is that not only is he the author of the story, and not only is he the direct or indirect cause of all things, but he actually enters into the story. Mm. Um like that's beautiful. that's the 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 beauty of the incarnation is that the of Aslan showing up mm-hmm. and, and bringing with him salvation and spring again is he did not remain detached, not that he ever was detached, but he didn't remain outside of the story like Tolkien does. He wrote himself into the story. I mean, I think there's a... Wrote himself in with it, the most excruciating suffering yeah, you can ever su- have. Taking mm-hmm. suffering, bearing evil. Yeah. like take, And we haven't even really talked about the problem of evil and the necessity of God to even define evil. Like, we right. haven't even really gotten onto that subject today. Yeah. But the the reality that he, he has eliminated or he will at you know, in the end, wipe all tears away and eliminate all suffering and pain and catastrophe and calamity by absorbing the wrath of God and bearing condemnation, transgression, uh, carrying transgression. Like that is, um, that that's what makes you uh, Christianity unique and beautiful and set apart because it's not just Christianity that has to answer the problem of pain and suffering and evil in the world. It's everyone. A- every worldview has to answer that, qu- that question. Every religion has to answer that question. So how should Christians address it? in the world today. I think no there's a ton to, of to kind of ways. summarize what we've gone through that there's purpose in it. Calamity and pain is not accidental. It's not, it's it's not detached from God's plan, but at the same time it's the responsibility of humanity. I think that sin is the culprit there that's brought that um that God repurposes pain, um that even uses evil that he does bring beauty from brokenness. And so he's he's using that and at the same time that there is colossal hope for the Christian because our God entered into the fray and took the punishment and bore the condemnation, carried transgression and absorbed wrath and gifts to his people life. And I, th- I think that's, that, that's how I would, that's how I would approach this. It's not dismissive of God. It's not a, it's not a, 
a humanization of God where he's not in control and, and sin is, is the ultimate. It's that, you know, sin is without God being contaminated by a part of his plan and yet still our responsible, it's our fault. Rick, but yet that he's answered the problem of sin. Yeah. So Rick, what would you practically say to people listening since we've just done a bunch of debates on evil and, and God and analogies, but so what what is a better response then? Well, all things work together for good. That that a lot of Christians like to say to people when something bad happens and they're like, this doesn't make sense that your God, the way you describe God could even exist because this happened to me. And they just respond with, well, all things work together for good. You don't know, maybe generations from now that'll turn into something good. That's not very comforting to the person that hears it, I don't think. So the person that's actually suffering or just the natural the, objection? The, the, I, I want to say it like- It depends who you're talking responses. with, like someone's- mother just died. You're not supposed to like sit there and be like, all things are working together for right, good. Exactly. Don't worry I would about agree it. With you. At that point, you comfort them. You actually just be a good friend exactly. to them. Now, I if agree. you're dealing with someone like in a conversation like this, right. just in a theological, logical mm -hmm. discussion, I would explain, like we talked about earlier, that it's not a problem if evil actually in, in pain has a purpose that goes beyond the actual pain. Like if there is a greater good coming from this or like we talked about various traits that we want to illustrate, mercy, justice, courage, that we can name a bunch of them. If God is using that, therefore there is purpose in the pain and suffering. How do you know what that purpose is? Right. We're not, that's a good question. We, I don't think we, we are not able to discern that. So there are other purposes I didn't bring up, but that's one step, but we also have the purposes in judgment. God does use, um, obviously, death, pain, suffering sometimes to bring judgment upon wickedness, but we're not able to discern that. I don't think it's valid for us to be like, oh, Katrina came in and yeah. wiped out New Orleans. They're all wicked there. We, yeah. we don't, we don't, we're not privy to that kind of Usually that's kind misguided. Of <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Could he have used it in that yeah. particular case? Sure. Possibly. Sure. Um, that's a good question. Like, you know, my wife dies in a car accident. Was it because, you know, I sinned yesterday? No, but right. God then can use that now to allow me to have deeper reliance upon him. That's certainly a purpose for it. When C.S. Lewis talks about the megaphone concept, you know, through mm. this pain and suffering, God uses us, yeah, to, to, to wake us up. To, to, to the, the non-believer, sometimes pain and suffering brings them to awareness of a need for God. Imagine if you're like Solomon or doing Ecclesiastes and you had everything and everything is all perfect and you never got to that, that maybe a particular bottom in your life, you might not see God. God uses pain in that way as well. He can also use gain in that way Correct. as well. So you get everything and realize it's vanity in yeah, the place of Solomon. Nothing. Right. You, know, you yeah. got everything, but yeah. you got nothing. Pain or gain. I think it's important to to remind people, especially as they're going through it, because a lot of these are born out of some are born out of cynicism, but some are just born out of angst and sure. yeah, the loss of a loved one or the loss of a, of a favorite pet or you know whatever it might be. And to remind, I, I think it's important to remind people that that God. Not only is he, is he overall, and not only has he entered into the fray uh, in Christ, but that he actually, he does grieve. Now, not, not as those who have no hope, sure. um, and not as, a, not as one who's not in control. Like, we grieve in a, once again, a different way. We're not God. So we grieve because we can't correct what was wrong. Hmm. Um, but, but when Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus in John 11, he, he weeps knowing that he's about to raise him from the dead. Like he, so he's weeping in a different way because we would weep at the tomb, I think. Because we're never seeing him again. Like we're never going to see this guy again, at least not in this life. Yeah. And his... yet he's weeping. And, and the only explanation I can find there is because to Adam's initial point here, this is not how mm. things should be. 
this is the toll. This is the devastation that sin has wrought upon and the he world. He sees it different. Like that's yeah, what he every, thinks. We yeah. would never think, oh, this is because of the fall. That's why this is happening. Yeah. That's why we have to feel this pain of death or whatever. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on John, there in chapter 11, makes a wonderful argument that, that, that the word there in John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept, that that Greek word wept is only used in other places in the context of great anger. And so most of us will, will think, oh, Jesus is just Sadness. mourning. He's sad. Well, just like what, what you're saying, Aaron, there's so much more to his weeping. Yeah. It's, an, it's a hostile anger against the consequences of sin in a fallen world. And so many of the folks that I have interacted with have been at times very uncomfortable with our conversation right now because they see this big God, all things work for good to those who are called according to his purpose, those who love God. And they think that we're also saying that all things are good. And I think that we should be very quick to say, yes, all things work for good. Let's, let's say that second, but first we should be very keen to admit not everything is good. Not all things are good. Right. Right. And this, it's, suffering is really real. And God grieves yeah. in that. Like there Indeed. is a grief, there's an angst in his heart that yeah. things are not as they should be, for even sure. though he could he could correct it in a second, yeah. but he doesn't for hmm. mysteries unknown and for some of the reasons that yeah. we've laid out here today. Yeah. Even so that, I, it's working for good for those what? Right. The second part him. is always yeah. important yeah. that yeah. people miss. For, for that's, that's what I thought you were going to say, Rick, when I asked <laughs> that question is like, people just <laughs> forget the most important part of it. Like, the, like mm. they do all the time throughout sure. the Bible. Books have been written on just picking and choosing your favorite verse. Read the whole right. verse. Also, I think <laughs> I think the good, our good is very important in there as well because uh. our good. So before you answer that, yeah, pause. Because we've answered the first big question of does evil in the world prove our God does not exist? And we've answered that pretty clearly, no. So then the second question is does evil in the world prove that our God is not good? Yeah, so- once again, just as God's character is very different than our character and his his non-limitations are very different than our limitations, the you reading the Sherlock Holmes quotes on that, Adam? Yeah, there's there's some stuff that perhaps we could add to this conversation. We, we, could, on we here. could pick out from Sherlock. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, anyway, there's a there's a for those listening, there's a, a Adam Strink now a Sherlock Holmes mug. So uh, there's some quotes on it. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so evil does not prove that God is absent, but does evil prove that God is not good? Right. And once again, our definition of good is oftentimes very non or anti-biblical. Like it's not, so we talk about God being good. We're talking about him being right and true and perfect. And 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 um, we talk yes. about good in our society. We're, we oftentimes are talking about benevolence or kindness or generosity. And he is kind and he is benevolent. But when it says in Romans 8 that he works all things for good, I think what can happen in a very consumer-oriented culture is we go, well, I, I lost this job and I'm gonna get a better job because God's working all things together for good. And in the context there of Romans 8, 28, and then 29, the good ultimately is that his people are becoming more conformed to Jesus. Like there, whatever it is that we go through in this life, whatever pain we endure to Rick's earlier point about, you, you know, a wife is killed in a car crash and there is a deeper dependency on God. Um, there is a, and that is becoming more like Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's a deeper devotion to God because it says Romans 8, 28 for God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so that's the ultimate good. Like whether we like it or not, that's the best thing that could possibly happen for us is to become more like Jesus um, through all the pain, catastrophe. And, and so, yes, he's absolutely good, just not in ways that we might initially think. 
So Psalm 119, verse 67, sorry, 68. You are good and do good. Verse 71, it is good for me, same word, that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Then verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Yeah. And so when we start defining these terms, the way God defines these terms, we'll arrive at the proper conclusions. When we define them on our own terms, we usually don't arrive at the right place. And I think the best apologetics or whatever you want to call them in these situations when you talk to people about this evil in the world and how it affects our understanding of the God of the Bible, I think that it's very clear that none of this should be a surprise if you believe in the God of the Bible. Like 2020 Mm. should not be surprising. It shouldn't seem like, oh my gosh, the world is ending today. If you've read the Bible and you understand what people in ancient times have gone through as well. And Rick, from, from our perspective, like as Christians, we think a lot of times we're better than everyone else and we shouldn't have to go through this. Yeah. We're going to be raptured away before all this stuff happens, <laughs> oh, right? There's not going to be any persecution Pockets. for us. But what does the Bible yeah. say about like what is going to happen specifically to Christians? Peter doesn't believe in that. I'm in Earth, saying. yeah, no, no, that was a joke. That was a joke. People might you're, not know that. You're right in a room there. with three partial predators, millennialists, I think. So, but so so explain to me. Yeah, yeah, that was a total joke, obviously, right, right. which is why but, I'm. My but question. Like 90% of the people in our churches believe this. For sure. Sure. I, yeah. I agree. And this so is why so I, one of the things I want to talk about is like, what do you explain to Christians listening to this that think that we're not going to have times like 2020 and we're not going to have people calling us racist for- 2020 is still like better than like probably- I agree. How many other it's periods better, It's better history. than 1942. I'll tell you I mean, that. Oh, you get to sit at home with your internet and your <laughs> AC. Yeah, it's really I mean, tough. Wow, that's a real tough life. But what's the Bible tell us about, about what our life's going to be like on the, on the earth? Our life being Christians. Trials, tribulations. <laughs> and it gives us the purpose for yeah. that. Yeah. There's some humility that I think perhaps those that uh, are not in the reformed tradition, the Calvinistic world, really hate this conversation because they see us as arrogant. They see us as, sure. you know, highfalutin ivory tower theologians. When I think we, we should a- answer your question, something like, you know, what, what, what's, why are we surprised at 2020? Well, part of our answer always has to be, I think what GK Chesterton said, uh, he was asked one time, what's wrong with the world? And what did he say? Do you know, Aaron? I love Chesterton, but you might you might jog my memory when you say okay. So we we would naturally want to point to all these different things. Us, where what's wrong with the world? That's what I was right. Say. But <laughs> part of our answer must be what he said. He said, you know, he he was asked what's wrong with the world, and he said, I am right. Yeah. Exactly. That's got to be part of our answer. Yeah. Which is why yeah. I talked to Rick like when I'm at, when I asked Rick that question about instead of looking at I can't remember what example you used. Oh, uh, brothers that were going to throw him into the pit. I'm like I just think about my own brain. Like that's how I think about whether or not God's responsible for my sins. It's like, I just think about when I sin, I know what my brain goes through. It's like, if if we would just think like that more, I think we'd help us to understand. We're never going to understand God, but if we just are honest and you don't have to tell anybody it, just when you're sitting by yourself and you think about your own brain, when you do things that are wrong, like you don't need convincing. (laughs) You're usually just like gung ho, let's go do this. And and I think that would be easier for us to see 
how the world is so messed up just by that. And there are so sure. many people that think nothing they do is wrong. Yep. And so when mm. you get in that mindset, that's how you, that's the slippery slope yeah. that starts. For sure. Yeah. I think, I think some good follow-up podcasts have emerged today. I think, I think addressing the idea of relativism yeah. would be, is, is very prevalent in our culture and is even creeping into the church. And so, you know what? I, th I think it's time for us to wind this one down. Yeah. Though P Peter's microphone is drooping. It's in my lap. His, his, his microphone is falling asleep <laughs> it is on him. in my him. lap. I'm looking at Jeff um, giving him eyes right now, yeah. but it's okay. Um, but uh, anyway, it's been great having you guys on. I think yeah, it's been a, a very compelling conversation to me. I would hope that this conversation, if nothing else, would make people, especially Christians, do some studies on on what the Bible actually says about God and about the world and the generations and civilizations that have come before us and how it's bad a lot of times. You if you're know? faithful in your walk, you're going to get questions like this. Right. Like about pain, the problem of pain, suffering in the world, evil in the world. You're going to get those. And we need to be prepared to answer our own soul when sure. those questions rise and the questions from others. Like, And your answer can't just be them. It's them. It's their fault. Them, them, well, them, them, them. And it can't just be, <laughs> even, even though the, it's accurate, it can't just be, because we've heard it so many times, somebody's going through something, well, God's in control. Just, you know, yeah. just kind of a cop out. Like he it is in control, but what does that mean? Like right. same thing as all that, things work together comfort? for good. It's like, well, yeah. don't worry about it. All things work. You lost your job. You can't pay for food. Don't worry. All things work together for good, man. So if we're calling people away from kind of like the fallacies and fairy tales and, right. and, and of, of modern Christianity, help. just just giving people a cop out. Yeah, I'll pray for you. God's mm -hmm. in control. All things work together for good. My thoughts without, are with without you, Yeah, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Send you and good vibes. Yeah. yeah, good vibes <laughs> yeah. only, baby. Instead of explaining what we mean by that and right. helping them unpack and, and grieving with them over yeah, that's loss. that's a big. Showing compassion know? with yeah. them. Don't be the ivory tower. You know, that's why exactly. I asked who your con the context matters who's speaking with 100%. you. 100%. You're dealing with someone going through loss. That's not the time to get in a deep <laughs> theological discussion about compatibilism. Yeah, <laughs> Have conviction and courage around this issue. Absolutely. For sure. All right. For Until sure. next time. Thank you. Peace. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.